All right. So I, I wanted to share first off with you guys. Uh, we're starting a new series, as Larissa talked about, and it's in the book of Colossians. It's seven parts, and it's entitled "Every Jesus, Every Relationship Made New. And so there's obviously certain themes that Paul, the author, put in there. Uh, but uh, here's what I know is, is that I think that how we apply it, uh, there's nothing more essential than applying it to our relationships. Uh, because relationships are, you know, somebody says it's what makes the world go around. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, it, it, we, we need it. We need it in this church. We need it in the community. We need help with relationships. I especially do today. I needed to share something with you guys. I have a visitor at my house that is, uh, has, been, uh, has bad manners and uh, is, hello, has bad manners and uh, has kind of made its own, uh, its own way. So we have a skunk at our house, just moved in, right? You know, and, uh, and so our dog for a few days was uh, kind of looking underneath the deck and, okay, what is it? And then all of a sudden we let him out one night uh, before we went to bed and all of a sudden everything broke loose. And, you know, he got sprayed and, you know, so we had to, you know, get him the shower and stuff. And I think the skunk is still with us. So I typed in this morning, you know, uh, skunk, just see what would come up. And, uh, you know, all sorts of things come up, like how to get rid of a skunk. Uh, can you have a skunk as a pet? Okay. Um, skunks are, uh, this is what one person said, so I should be reassured. Skunks are way more adorable, shy, and intelligent than assumed. So uh, even though he's or she is not having great manners, they actually are cute and cuddly, I guess. And then uh, another person said, give the skunk a chance. So I'm not real sure. I just want to get rid of it. So I'm putting this out there. Uh, you know, I need help. So if anybody knows how to get rid of a skunk, I'm good. Uh, typically with not a loud bang. I know this is a different country than San Diego. So just, you know, if you have another approach. Um, so, but think about relationships. Here's some of the things that we have, uh, we need help with in relationships. Communication, right? Uh, we need, uh, sometimes money causes problems in relationships, um, and these are bigger than just like husband, wife. These are workplace. These are neighborhood, friends, family. Uh, sometimes it's who's responsible for what, either in the workplace or at home. Uh, sometimes it's past hurts. In other words, we get close enough with a person and we get close enough that we can get hurt, right? Um, and then also to conflict, right? That's a huge thing that we need more tools with is conflict in life. And so uh, what, what, what about us here? I mean, what, what could be going on here? Uh, we here may have set out um, to have an amazing marriage or a relationship with our spouse and our children. And yet, uh, as we did that, we discovered that there's others in the relationship. There's our habits and, and the way that we do things uh, that we learned from our parents and, and bad habits that we developed on our own. That we, we bring that into our relationship. And so we need help. Uh, we may have come from a divorced home, like me. I, I came from a divorced home, and so I brought that into, into my marriage, right? Uh, so, um, uh, you know, and then you set out. I never want to do that to my kids. Uh, that could be you. Uh, we have uh, seen our parents go from job to job to job, maybe, or uh, because of not being able to get along with their boss or coworkers, and so we wonder, is that how I'm going to be? We want stability in our, in our workplace, um, uh, we may have been divorced here ourselves, and, and we're wanting to get married again, or, or maybe we are married again, and, and, and we're saying that it has to be different 
this time. Uh, we may have a neighbor that is not so neighborly, right? Um, maybe kind of like that. Maybe that's not a neighbor that's, maybe it's just your neighbor. <laughs> I mean, a skunk, maybe it's your neighbor. Um, and, then, and then also relationships, uh, you know, that, like I said, people say they make the world go around. But that may be true, but they can be hard, right? So here's the good news. This is absolutely good news for us. Um, God left the building, okay? Uh, God left the building 2,000 years ago. Uh, when Jesus Christ came and became a man and lived amongst people, uh, he communicated clearly to everyone that he does not take up residence in a building or a place. But he actually is amongst the people where life is happening. Because sometimes we can think that there's secular and then there's sacred. That you come to a place like this and this is sacred but my house or my den or my backyard is, or my workplace is secular. But the reality is because Jesus sent a clear message that all is sacred. Because God is in the midst of everything. And so we have good news because that's, that's what he's done. Uh, there's not a relational line that, that, that right off outside of this property, you know, this is God's area and then he goes there. And so that's good news for us in the midst of all of these different relationships that we have. Uh, a key verse in Colossians as we start the book is Colossians 1.26. And it says, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. Okay, so all throughout the book he'll say at different points, mystery. Uh, in other words, it was people kind of saw what was going on, but they're trying to figure it out. And he's saying that all throughout time it's been a mystery. How is God going to fix this problem we have? How is he going to make things right between God and man and between people? And, you know, what's he going to do? And it says, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So here's what Jesus teaches, and here's what the New Testament teaches, is that God is, does not take up residence in building. The only reason that this place is holy or amazing is because you're here. Because it says that Christ lives in you. And so everything's changed because of that. Every relationship can be changed because of that. So... How now do people live in relationship with spouse, with children, with coworker, with friends, with neighbors, with skunks? How now do people live that Christ takes up residence in me? How do we live? So let's invite God's presence as we look at this book of Colossians. God, we thank you for your great goodness to us. Uh, we thank you for um, the people uh, of our church here that use their gifts and skills to play instruments and sing and, and lead us into your presence. And uh, God, I also thank you for each person that's here this morning. Uh, may each one know that they are the crown jewel of your creation. May each one know that they are the place that you dwell, that they have a purpose. And so Holy Spirit, would you come and teach so that each of us could hear you in Jesus' name. Amen. So a little bit of background uh, with the letter to the Colossians. Uh, so it was written as one of four uh, prison epistles uh, by the Apostle Paul. And so he was in prison in Rome or possibly Ephesus when he wrote uh, this letter to the Colossians. Um, the city of Colossae was on the river Lycus in what is uh, modern-day Turkey. So, right, Turkey's in the news these days. Uh, so if you see up here, Israel's down there. Where it says Israel, that's more closer to Lebanon the island Cyprus, and then here you've got Colossae is kind of right over that way, and then that's modern-day Turkey. 
So that's, uh, that's the location of Colossae. Uh, and then if you go to the next slide here, uh, you'll see just more detail. With the red dot, there's Colossae. You see Lebanon. Uh, you see Cyprus and, and, and everything in there. So that's where it would be. And uh, the city was prominent and prosperous. Uh, it was, uh, they had a good economy. Uh, they were along uh, a major trade route. They kind of rivaled Laodicea. And then something changed in, in right about the 8th century uh, A.D. and the road changed. So it would be kind of like, uh, let's say I-70 moved uh, somewhere else. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, you didn't have I-70 running up into Kansas City. It would affect uh, our economy here. It would affect different things. So if you look at this next slide, uh, what happened is, is, is it, it, it's a mound of dirt, right? So that's the city where it was. That's a picture today. And, and, and that's what happened to it. In the 8th century, um, it was absolutely just destroyed and just left like that. And that's just how it's been ever since. Uh, the church at Colossae, the people that this is written to, uh, it was a newer church. It was enthusiastic. I mean, similar to this church, you know, in its first several years. And, and so Paul was writing to them to encourage them. Uh, most of the people there, they were pagans. Uh, so they were not people that, uh, you know, would have been, you know, known as spiritual or knowing God or whatever. They were just all sorts of backgrounds. Uh, Paul never visited the church. So he's writing a letter to somebody that, that he's never met. Um, the church started during Paul's third missionary journey uh, when he spent three years in Ephesus. And so if you look at this slide here, uh, you'll see that Ephesus is closer to the coast and it's about 100 miles away. So Paul, for three years, was there, but then he's writing to these people that God was starting something in that city as well. Uh, and then uh, the church was established by Epaphras, who was a native of Colossae. Uh, and then the New Testament letter to Philemon, if you've read that, it's just one chapter, amazing. But that was probably sent along with this letter to the Colossians as well, because Onesimus, a former slave, was trying to um, reestablish himself in Colossae uh, during that time. Reason for writing the book uh, was to encourage the church in their relationship with God and, and with each other. Uh, he also wanted to report on himself and also Epaphras who started the church. Uh, he also wanted to combat growing doctrinal errors. So they were teaching things that weren't necessarily uh, proper or orthodox, right? The, the right belief. Uh, and so he combated those. They had to do with uh, rigorous human spirituality. And so we could equate it that... Uh, you know, not only did you, if you're a farmer, not only did you have to, to plant the seed and water the seed, but you had to make it grow, right? You, you, you have to do everything, right? And, and a farmer doesn't make it grow. They provide the things that cause the growth. They provide the environment to cause the growth, but they don't make it grow. It's built within itself. And so that's some of these airs that they were putting on them that was like, you can make this thing happen on your own. But the good news of God is, is that it's something that God makes available to us and we participate. But it's not something that we ratchet up in him. Also, they would obscure the divinity of Christ, that, that Jesus was fully God and fully man. They would take that away. Those are some of the teachings. Uh, N.T. Wright, a, a scholar, said this about the letter to Colossians. He said, Already within 30 years of Jesus' death and resurrection, Paul has worked out a wonderful many-colored picture of what Jesus achieved, of God's worldwide plan. And this, this is the part that I really like. And how it all works in the lives of ordinary people, people like you and me. And so that's Colossians, okay? You ready? 
Let's dive in. All right. So uh, verse 1, if you have a Bible, you can open up. The words will also be up here on the screen. Verse 1 of Colossians. Let's read together. And we're going to see that every relationship is first made new by good news. Because we're going to see this. We've talked about it. How does God make every relationship new? What does he do? He does it first by good news. So verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. So good news results in purpose, okay? So a lot of people talk about the gospel. Gospel means good news. So if you ever heard somebody say, well, the gospel, it's all about the gospel. Well, what it means is good news. And so what does good news result in? Like what happens when good news comes about? This first chapter shows clearly, Paul makes just a clear argument of what is supposed to happen in the gospel. Uh, Because sometimes we think it has to do with religious activity, uh, but I think it has to do with relationships out on the street in real life. Uh, So look at Paul in verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother. So apostle seems like a really big word. It means messenger. Okay? So... uh, What's amazing is he's a messenger now of Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. Uh, And so everything's just so amazing here because sometimes we think that with God, like it's there's certain people in and certain people out. But God is so inclusive. He's absolutely so inclusive. So Paul was a messenger of Christ. But um, here's here's the deal is that he started out. He comes on the scene in Scripture as one that would attack the messengers of Christ. So he was like the bully in the neighborhood throwing rocks with a slingshot at the boys that were delivering papers, okay? And so, and he's pegging them off and taking them down. That's what he was doing in the New Testament, even standing by while they were killed. And then all of a sudden, he becomes the paper boy of the month. He's now the one taking the message everywhere. Timothy, Timothy was, was one that uh, he actually, his parents, one was, was Greek, Uh, One was a Jew. And so you've got these things where, no, not just certain types of people fit in with God, but all sorts of types of people. God is inclusive of everyone. And so we also see that uh, uh, it says the will of God, right? So the will of God, what's that? Well, the will of God is, it's big, right? It's kind of like going out to the Kansas um, uh, River or the Missouri River and, and, and just jumping in. No life jacket, no boat, no canoe. Just I'm just going to jump in, okay? And what's going to happen if you jump in? It, the current's going to take you down, right? It, you, you just, you go, okay? That's like the will of God. And you can swim, you can do different things. But So Paul is in the midst of that. Uh, also, too, if you look at verse 2 here, uh, it says, To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. So, uh, Look at them. They were these pagan people that were, you know, like if, if Israel, if Jerusalem was Broadway, they weren't even off Broadway as far as spirituality. They were just a mess. And now you've got, you know, I mean, the one that wrote most of the New Testament, most of the one that was given the message to write to everyone about this message of Jesus, he's calling them the holy people like the set-apart people in Colossae and the faithful ones. And, and look at how they're changed. And because it's all because the kingdom of God invaded 
into their city, into their place, much like he's doing in, in, our, in our world today. Um, he's, he's doing that. Their, uh, holiness, uh, again, a big word. Holiness has to do with um, being set apart, right? And a lot of times we think of holy, we think of, um, like, I remember in seventh grade I had this pair of white jeans. I thought it was a good idea. So I, I wore them to my first dance. And I thought it was also a good idea to have a, a hot dog with a bunch of ketchup. And, and so, and, you know, I, my mind was like, these are, these are cool. You know I mean? Just, I don't know, these white jeans, and, but they weren't holy anymore. That's not what the Bible speaks of when it speaks of holy. We think it has to do with purity. See, and then what we set our minds on is, okay, I'm going to be holy, so I'm going to stay pure. Holiness always has to do with purpose, right? If, if you, uh, those of you who read the Old Testament, you have the tabernacle and the temple, and you have all these articles. You have articles of gold and bronze and all these things. And here's the thing. Was there other things in the world made of bronze and gold and used in other places? Right. So they weren't holy because they were bronze or gold, but they were holy because of the purpose that God had for them. And so the people in Colossae are holy, not because they're perfect, not because they have the cleanest white jeans, but because they are functioning the purpose that God has for them. And they're faithful as well. So faithful has to do with loyalty. So they're loyal. They're loyal in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ. <clears throat> Where it says in Christ there, and, and this is just laying the foundation for our book and what we're doing. In Christ, it's used 25 times in Colossians. So anytime somebody uses something 25 times, you know, you want to pay attention. Literally in the Greek, it means uh, to, uh, to the faithful, uh, to God's holy people in Colossae, faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. It's saying uh, in Colossae, in Christ. Okay? Your residence is not just Colossae, it's in Christ. And this is how, if you've ever heard of people that uh, are tortured or murdered for their faith, uh, or even on a secular level, like spies and people that go into other places and, and they're behind enemy lines, and how do they survive all of that? Well, because they've been trained that their reality is not there, it's something else. It's for their country, and, and, and they're going to they're gonna be strong in that moment. And then spiritually, uh, there's like Prim Pradam, uh, a man that was like the Apostle Paul to Nepal. He was arrested and, and beaten and, and, and confined uh, at times in something like a coffin for his faith in Christ. And what he would do in that moment is he was in a coffin in Nepal, but in a coffin in Nepal in Christ. And so what he did is he would sing praises to Jesus, and then his guards would come to know Jesus. So they kept having to move guards. Kind of counterproductive. <laughs> Throw somebody else into the ring. And now a major move, uh, many people have come to know Jesus all throughout Nepal many, many decades later. And so it's that theme of in Christ is key. So what's it like in Christ, though? Well, verse 2, it says grace and peace to you. Grace is like waterfall love. If you think of just standing under a waterfall and just coming, uh, a small one, uh, you know, coming on you, just waterfall love. That's what grace is, just unmerited favor. Um, peace. Uh, it's like Club Med. God's peace is like Club Med. You ever gone to a place like that? Or you've dreamed? I've dreamed of going to a place like that where just everything's paid for, and I really, I can have that too? That's the type of peace that we have in Christ. And then also, our Father is there, okay? All right, next. Uh, verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. 
Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love we have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven, about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. So purpose is discovered within the context of, of faith. So it's Christ and love for others. You see that in, in verse 5 there, uh, that the faith and love that spring from the hope stored for you in heaven. I talked to you earlier that there's something that happens with the gospel. This is it. That's what's supposed to happen. Is that faith and love are to spring up out of hope. And it talks about the hope, right? Because we need a lot of hope, right? That hope is stored up for you in heaven. So if something's stored for you in heaven, would you say that there's a lot? Just like storehouses, just tons for that. But the result of the gospel, the good news, the work in a person, so if somebody says, yeah, I love the gospel, or I love the good news, sometimes they relate it to their religious activity. Sometimes they relate it to, uh, you know, their, their church attendance or different things. But don't be confused. The Bible says that it's faith and love that is the sign of the gospel, that that's the plant, right? If, if we planted something out here and then came back and, and it, let's say it was, uh, like I've been driving by all the different uh, uh, farms out here, and I, there was one, I, I asked somebody, finally said, what is that? And he said, well, that's soybeans. Like, okay, now I know that soybeans are supposed to come out of that. Well, the gospel, Paul knows, is like this plant that nobody has ever seen before. It's this good news, and there's certain things that are supposed to come out of it. So he's encouraging them, that's the fruit. That's what you're supposed to have. That's what you'll get out of this. When my family and I moved to um, Colorado, and I may have shared this with you guys, but it's just always stuck in my mind. We moved, and there was these different fruit trees, they told us. And um, they told us that there was cherry and apple and, and uh, plum and all these different fruit trees. But we had no idea. We had never had fruit trees. So we didn't know which was which. And so when, when uh, the time came for them to, to bud and, and the fruit come, we're like, we're just waiting as they grow. What is it? What is it? Well, the fruit of the gospel is this, faith and love. It's what we're to, to see in people's lives. Um, you know, faith is not just believing in the ocean. I know we don't have an ocean around here. But uh, it's just not believing in the ocean. Uh, but it's jumping in and living in it. That's what faith is. Faith in Christ. Love when it speaks of here, so this is the fruit of the gospel, is sacrificial giving of myself. It's almost always connected as that's defined in the New Testament. So it's not just love like, I love you. You know, like, I love you because you love me. I, you know, no, it's, it's I'm, I'm going to give of myself. If you follow Jesus, know this. Know this. It, it will cost you. It absolutely will cost you. And you know what? It's the absolute best thing for you and I. Because when we follow Jesus, I mean, think about him. Think about Jesus. Right? I mean, we can try to tone him down or whatever, but Jesus is radical. Radical. He went to the people that appeared to be close to God, showed that their hearts actually made them far from God. He went to the people that were far from God, supposedly, and showed that their hearts, because they were humble and actually were in a place where they needed God and wanted help, and showed that they were closer to God. And then not only that, but <clears throat> he laid down his life of his own volition. Even though he had the power to overcome all of them, 
He just laid it down. Jesus is radical. And so you too, if you follow Christ, it'll cost you. But it's the best thing in the world is loving people that way. It's the best thing in the world. And what you think you're losing, you realize wasn't that important. But what you gain is everything. It's absolutely everything. All right, in the second part of verse 6 there, it says, In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it hasn't been doing among you since the day you have heard it and truly understood God's grace. So this crop, this gospel, this good news, this fruit, it's happening everywhere. And isn't it? I mean, we live in an amazing time where we can see just absolutely amazing things happening all over the world. All over the world. Sometimes people are involved where people will share Jesus with somebody and and someone will will turn to him and receive his love. Other times, um, you know, something interesting God's doing amongst uh, um, uh, Muslim people in different places is, is they'll have dreams. Right of of Esau in their tradition, and and Esau (laughs) shares with them about Jesus, and they come to Jesus and their families. And I mean, God is just so amazing what He's doing all throughout the earth, loving people, right? But if I just tune into CNN, it's just like, yeah, it's all gone to pot, it's gone bad. I've just stopped. I just decided I'm not I'm not going to look at news. And as I've done that, I've realized that I can love the people in front of me better. I've realized that I can actually make a difference in the world. I have realized that actually we're changing things. I've realized that actually there's a lot of good stuff happening as we do that. And so um, in verse 7 it says, You learned it from Epaphras, so they learned about the good news, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. So look at that there. Love in the Spirit. Right? Your love in the Spirit. So... All of these things that he's going through, faith, hope, love, these are all evidences of the Spirit. Uh, Galatians 5, 22, it won't be up here, uh, through 20, uh, says, But the fruit of the Spirit, so like what the Spirit does, is, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are not things that we can set out. I mean, you can set out and try to develop these, but these are things that it's the fruit of the Spirit. So you can't make it grow. Like, I can't, like, we're going to be joyful, okay? And I, I did. I tried that. I had this woman named Trudy, and she was so sweet. And Phil, her husband, they were youth leaders with me when I first started youth ministry. And, and Trudy comes up to me one day and says, I'm praying for you for joy. What, I have joy? What are you talking about? What's wrong with you? You know, I, no, that's not what I said. But I'm just like, this is what I did. I said, you know, I'm going to participate with that. And so I started praying for joy for me too. Now here's the interesting thing though, is that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, right? So love is first. Love is the vehicle that all these other things come in. That's why it's the first fruit of the Spirit there, love. It's the the vehicle that they come in. So these things here is not the result of the gospel good news for only some. Right, Because you may look at this and say, well, that's for some people, or that's for the super spiritual, or that's for pastors or missionaries or whatever. No, this is for everybody. right? I mean, we get to live this way. That, like, What comes out of me is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Right? But we have to participate with that. That's what God works in us, and so we participate with it. 
The next thing that we see in verse 9 is that we see that every relationship is made new by God's power. So it, it, it happens uh, by good news, but it's made new by God's power. It's him doing it in us. And, and 9 through 12, what you see is a prayer that, that Paul prays for these people. But here's the thing. Let me let you in on a secret. Uh, I, I've, I don't know. I've been a following Jesus. I wasn't raised in the church. I never walked into a church before I was 15 years old. So for me, I'm still kind of getting to know church. And, but here's what I know is that, um, is that sometimes it's hard to pray, to know what to pray, right? To know, like, is this just selfish or is this really something God cares about or whatever? When there's a prayer in the Bible, that's a good one to pray. That's God's stamp on it. And so this right here is something you can pray for yourself. It's also something you can pray for other people. If you're a parent here today, pray this over your kids, right? Um, pray, pray it over your neighbor. I'm going to pray it over my skunk. Uh, that's what I'm going to do. So, but but look, at, look at verse 9 here. It says, For this reason, since the day we, have he- we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So knowledge of his will is vital, right? We talked about, you know, we need to be uh, knowing God's will for our lives, making decisions. Uh, we also want to li- live filled with spiritual wisdom and understanding. So think about that, that, that God would fill you with something. Have you ever thought about that, that, that God wants to fill you? You know, he wants, he wants to fill you up with something. And, and this here says that he wants to fill you up with the knowledge of his will. Through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So it's wisdom and understanding that comes from the Holy Spirit, right? Because a lot of times, and, and listen, I, I, I'm into learning. Uh, you know, I'm into studying. I'm into, you know, I've done lots of schooling and all that. But here's the thing. Sometimes we can think that the things that we learn here, right? And we've got access to everything. Like the internet. You've got access to more information than anybody else in any other time. But here's the thing. It's absolutely useless Unless we have spiritual understanding. Because the spiritual influences the physical. It's not the other way around. The physical doesn't influence the spiritual. Spiritual influences the physical. And so, unless we have God's understanding for things, you know, even if we have timeless principles, the Bible's full of them. You can build a really good life based upon the principles in Scripture. If you just followed the truths that are here, you could build a really good life. But here's the thing. Why not know the one that wrote those as well and have true understanding? Because I can clean myself up for a little bit of time, but I, re- I really need him. I need, I need somebody like Jesus to walk alongside me and just not, just not apply principles but really know him. So in verse 9, it, um, you, know, it says, uh, uh, you know, it says that he wants to fill us. The knowledge of his will, wisdom, and understanding, and the Spirit gives it. In verse 10, it says, So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Some of you here are just like, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew you were going to make me feel bad today. Okay? You know? And it's just like, bad person. Here's what this means. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. Right? When somebody hears that, you may have heard it growing up. It's just like, don't embarrass our family or don't. Right? I've... I've said stupid stuff like that to my kids. They're like, you're embarrassing me, or that's not good, or right? In those moments, I, I've, I guess I'm speaking to all perfect parents and stuff here. So I'm just having a personal confession. Don't judge me. Um, so, but to live a life worthy of the Lord or to live up to the expectation, 
right? That dance that I went to with my jeans, guess what? My brother was the best dancer in the junior high. And I'm like, man, I'm going to do it. And so not only did I have ketchup on there, but they laughed at me because of my dancing skills. I still can't dance. But, you know, I mean, yeah. Anyways, more stuff here. You guys get it? Okay. I've got lots of problems. Pray for me. And so, so live a life worthy of the Lord. It's not earning. That's not what it's speaking of. Like if, I, if I'm going to live worthy, it's not earning that, but it's honoring him. Right? I mean, if somebody that's loved me that much, somebody that's cared for me that much, somebody that's given up that much for me, I'm going to honor him. I'm not earning it. I'm honoring that person. It says bearing fruit in every good work at the latter part of verse 10 there. Growing in the knowledge of God. That's our goal is we want to know him. Right? We just don't want to know about God. We want to know God. And, um, and there's just so much more of him. You never, you never tire of it. Uh, you never tire of, of him. You know, it's interesting. Uh, at different times, I've, I've you know, tried to get healthier as a person and what I eat and what I you know, exercise and those things. And one of the things I've learned is that uh, if you uh, cut off certain things that you're used to eating, like some people are addicted to sugar, right? And so people think like it's a major food group. I know when I was a teenager, I thought it was a major food group. Like something's, you guys are off here. There's not sugar here, right? Uh, like candy or that sort of thing. And what I learned is, is in my mind years ago, I thought like, that was just always a part of it. But then I learned, oh, wow, if I, if I, if I feed this to myself, like whole foods and that kind of thing, like, like just natural stuff from the other stuff, then I, my appetite changes. I didn't even want that stuff. That's how it is with, with Christ. Our appetite changes for him. Right? In this world, a lot of times we just feed ourselves stuff that doesn't have much substance. And it's kind of like empty calories, kind of like candy or different things. You, you, it just kind of, you do it and it tastes good for the moment, but it's not nourishing me. Christ nourishes me. Christ absolutely nourishes us. Also, too, in verse 11, this is a great place to live. It says, in Christ we're being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience in giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of life. So in Christ, it's a place of power. And here's the interesting thing. We are very weak there. Being in Jesus is a place of power. If you are in Christ, you have great power in this world. You have great authority in this world. Because the spiritual influences the physical. But don't be dismayed, or don't, don't be confused. You and I are very weak there. Because it's not by power, not by might, but it's by his spirit. And so it's being a vehicle for God in this world. Also, too, what it results in us in verse 11, it results in, in endurance and patience. You know, I think in life we think if we want endurance and patience, we think we have to ratchet up and be strong. But we can receive that from Christ. Also, too, here you see in verse 12, joyful thanks to the Father. That's also a part of it as well. As we finish here, verse 13, we see that every relationship made new in Jesus, right? So it's not just made new in the gospel. It's not just made new by the power of God. But let's narrow the target and let's put it straight on the person of Jesus. Straight on the person of Jesus. 
Because that's so important. It says, For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Conquering kings at this time would come into an area and they would conquer a people and then they would take back the people that they wanted. You see it in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. They would take back the, you know, the, the most prominent ones or the ones that they really valued. They would take them back to their own country. And so that in this time where it's written, you see Jesus, a conquering king, now take people out of the kingdom of darkness. Darkness in Scripture, it speaks of where things are hidden. John writes in his epistle in the New Testament, he says, this is the message of Jesus. If you want to know, sum up everything that Jesus said, this is what he said. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. That's how John, a first follower of Jesus, summed up everything that Jesus said. Because darkness is, right, if we shut off the lights and closed off all the things, you couldn't see, which means that things are hidden. You could make faces at the person sitting next to you. They couldn't see it. But Jesus takes us out of a place where things are hidden. Jesus takes us out of a place where things are evil. He takes us into his kingdom. That's what he's done. But don't forget how he's able to do that. How did he conquer? How did he conquer all powers and principalities, it says later in Colossians? How did he conquer death itself, the New Testament says? I mean, there's no other book like this. That Jesus conquered death itself, the last enemy. How did he do this? He did it by his love, and he did it by his body laid down for you and I. He paid the ultimate price. That's how he did it. He lived a perfect life. He was beaten. He was spat upon to the point that it says you could barely tell he was a man. You know, and then he carried, he, you know, with a cross... We see the finished cross, like out here, we've got three crosses here. But with the cross, you would have, you'd have a wooden beam, and the person would walk the wooden beam you know, through uh, the streets uh, up to the hill in Jerusalem when they would, the Romans would crucify people there. And, but listen, though, you always have that one part, and then they bring you to the vertical part. And the vertical part of the cross is laying there, and they connect the two, and then they, they nail your feet, and they, and they then nail your wrists, to, to, the, to the horizontal part, and now you're connected and they raise you up. Right? And you say, well, how do you die? Well, someone is, you, you die ultimately in, in your own fluids. You drowned. Hung up. Horrible death. Horrible, horrible, horrible death. That's how we did it. When we take communion like we did last week, we, right? We've got his body broken for me. His blood shed for me. That's how he did it. Nobody like Jesus. And he's not just a person in history. He's not somebody just on my shelf. But there's a lot of confusion about him, you guys. A lot of confusion about Jesus. Next week's message, we're actually going to dive into that. Because Paul is very clear about who Jesus is. And it's important that we are very clear about Jesus and who he is. The message is entitled Uncle Jesus. Right? And you're like, I, I thought about that. Should I say that? It's like, yeah, because think about an uncle, right? The uncle's like, he's, he's, he's kind of a, who is the uncle? Right? You've got Uncle Buck. You've got the, there's a new movie out, Uncle Drew. The uncle's just kind of like this thing. Well, wh- who is the uncle? And that's how people are with Jesus. But listen, God has made it clear who Jesus is. 
And next week, we all are going to have a clear picture of who Jesus is. So, so come and take part. Let's stand together and let's worship one more song. And then let's have a great cookout as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, um, for this time together. Uh, this has never happened before. Uh, this room has never been filled, and these people in this mix have never been together this way before. And that's what you do. Uh, you're, you are the one that loves us. You're the one that has life for us. Um, thank you, God, that you have freedom for us. Thank you that you have goodness for us, God. Um, just while we're praying in this moment, we usually have a time of prayer and different things. And I want us to do that as a family today as we have the cookout. But if you need to go and you need prayer, come see me and, and make sure you're prayed for. But let's, let's minister and encourage each other during the cookout today, and, 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 and God will use you. But, but I do want to say this. I do want to say this, is, is, is that some of us here today, just while we're praying, some of us here today, um, uh, you know, one person wrote that what you think about God, or what comes to mind when you think about God, like what image or what they're like, is the most important thing about somebody. And so for some of us today, when we think of God, uh, we know information about him. We know information like that Jesus loves us and these things. But the overriding thing that uh, drives our image of God is that, um, is that he's a taskmaster. And he's just driving us and driving us and driving us. And we have to perform for him. And then if we surrender to him, that it's just, uh, you know, it's... it's it's, it's a bad life or he's going to, you know, that, that he's not good. And nothing could be farther from the truth. And so let me just pray for you on that. Um, yeah, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you just, would you just, uh, would you take away those lies? Those lies that are placed in our mind? Um, Lord, you know that that's something that I struggle with. Even today, 30 years of following you, that, to think that you're, you're driving me. And yet that's not you. That's expectations put upon me, put upon other people here. And so, God, would you take away those lies and set us free to see you as you are, that you are pleased that we are here on the earth, that you are pleased about who we are, and that you have life and goodness and love and light for us. And so, God, would you bless these people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, perfect community. Would you make us that as well?